Welcome to the Liz Career Coaching Podcast. My name is Liz Herrera and I am your host, career coach, and job search ally. People strive to find career happiness, purpose, and satisfaction, and yet end up in a career path that does not align with their goals and overall purpose. If you are launching your career or ready for your next career move, this podcast will empower you to pave your path and take the action steps to get you where you need to be. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Liz Career Coaching Podcast. My name is Liz Herrera and I'm your host. And today I am accompanied by a very special guest, Dr. Mark Martel, uh, a good friend of mine. Uh, thank you for being on my podcast, Mark. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be part of your podcast. Um, so uh, Mark Martel is a 1.5 generation Filipino American who grew up in Miami, Florida. He has 20 years of higher education administration experience and holds a PhD in educational policy studies. Uh, his research interests are race, gender, comics, education, and Asian American topics. And he has a chapter in the recent publication, Teaching to Close the Achievement Gap for Students of Color, Understanding the Impact of Factors Outside the Classroom by Rutledge Press. So without further ado, let's dive in. Um, so Thank Mark, you. can you describe, you know, what's, or, or talk about your educational background, your overall educational background? Yeah, so I earned a Bachelor of Arts in English and a minor in music. Uh, I have a master's in linguistics and a PhD in educational policy studies. Okay, so uh, when you were in grad school, um, when, you know, when did you decide that, well, actually, when you were an undergrad, when did you decide that grad school was right for you? Yeah, um, I think I've always wanted a higher degree uh, since I was an undergrad. Uh, as I was maybe in my sophomore or junior uh, year of, of undergrad college, I took a lingu linguistics course, an intro to linguistics course, and that specific course really exposed me to how human language uh, works in society. And it really piqued my interest. So uh, I talked to one of my professors and I said, hey, I, you know, I wanna study languages. What could I consider after my undergrad? And it was then that the that, uh, professor told me about uh, the master's program in linguistics. So um, I think by the end of my junior year, I had, a, I had plans to pursue a master's degree uh, for uh, graduate level. Um, and then my PhD, he eventually came in later in the picture. Right. So maybe talk a little bit about your your career experience, your background, you know, what you were doing or you were working, like a little bit of that background. And then I definitely want to get to where you decided that a PhD was your next step. Yeah, definitely. So um, I would say all of my professional career and even my early career as, uh, as a student while I was still in college, uh, all the way to through uh, my master's program, I was in the field of uh, student affairs or higher education. Um, I think my very first job 
out of uh, high school was getting a, a federally uh, works federal work study uh, position on campus, and I was a a music librarian uh, where because I did a, a minor in music, and basically I helped catalog and archive uh, you know a music sheet for our music department, and that was my very first job out of, of high school, and it was in a, a higher ed setting or a university setting. Um, and I think my trajectory was just basically higher ed because after that, I believe I became a building manager for uh, our student center on campus. Uh, and then I became um, a resident assistant in housing. Uh, and that was the job that really made me uh, realize I love working with students, uh, college students. and. I, while I was in that role, I became a grad assistant, so a step up from a, a resident assistant. And I really learned a lot about the field from my supervisor and my mentors. And they told me you'd be perfect for higher education. Why don't you consider um, pursuing this as a career? Well, mind you though, um, uh, in that time period when I was an undergrad and also a, a master's student, yeah. my, my alma mater didn't have a higher ed program, but other uh, universities around uh, the, the United States had them. So um, I still continued with my master's in linguistics, but still remained working in higher ed. And that really, again, unearthed my passion in working with uh, university level students and I decided to go ahead and uh, pursue that professionally. Um, so I had an opportunity to interview with a number of universities uh, throughout um, the country, but I was very selective. I, I knew I wanted to either work mm. in Chicago. Um, I think I even looked at New York and also in Florida, um, but I ended up uh, finding a full-time job as a resident director right out of grad school uh, in Chicago, and I've been at that university for about 20 years with about a gap where I worked uh, on a program called Semester at Sea. Yes. And also, and also uh, when uh, I worked in um, social services, uh, working with folks who were recently released or uh, homeless and, and kind of gearing them up for the workplace and going back to college themselves. Um, and so even though I was no longer in higher ed for that one year gap, um, I was still in some sort of education uh, role. And then it brought me back to uh, higher education where I became um, a person that helps students help find help, uh, with uh, finding internships, part-time part jobs, um, you know, on-campus jobs. And then that led to my uh, role as a career advisor. And I did that for almost 10 years before I became a director of a cultural center and also a faculty on, on, on campus. You have so much interesting experience. One of the things that I wanted to point out that you just mentioned that I think really can, will resonate with people, it definitely resonates with me, is that you were looking for like a good fit in terms of a graduate program. And while you were looking for higher ed that was not available to you, you still pursued the linguistics uh, it, you know, it area, which was an interest of yours. But 
the key thing is that you maintained your kind of your foot in higher education in the student support, uh, you know, landscape. So you were still gaining that experience while you were studying something a little bit different, which I mean, I know that it kind of all came together. Uh, but I love that you were still able to leverage your degree, but still have the experience in an in industry and area that you're really interested in and that you're really good at. <laughs> um, Thank you. Well, I know, you know, you and I met in career services. So um, that's where you and I kind of, where we cross paths. Mm-hmm. So, so you were in career services. I know that's where we, you know, we met. When did you decide that the PhD was the next step? You know, how did you know? And you're like, okay, I need to do this. Yeah, I would probably say, mind you, I, I had like a seven year uh, gap from my master's to when I started my PhD. I would probably say about five years after I finished my master's is when I decided I want to do something, you know, more advanced. So that's when I decided to do um, the PhD in, at policy study. Um, and I think I've always been in this um, cu- curious mindset of, of, of just the world. So, you know, an example of that was my master's in linguistics. You know, I became curious about language, uh, the human language, as myself being an English learner um, when I was young. Um, and then I decided that, you know, I was just curious on kind of learning about something. And that was definitely a PhD route because I didn't want to do another master's. Um, And it wasn't fully defined until, um, you know, maybe a year into my kind of exploration of what I wanted to do. Because at first I was like, I was like, well, I really enjoyed English and linguistics. So maybe I could do a PhD in that. So I would like do a lot of like in- informational interviews with program directors or faculty to find out what the program entailed. I even considered sociology to kind of tie it into my linguistics degree because I was very interested in social linguistics and how like language played into culture or society. Um, and then I even looked at uh, anthropology as a subject until one day I decided to take uh, an education course. And the course, I think, focused more on like diversity issues in education. And I've always been uh, very engaged in diversity or interested in diversity. And I took a course and it kind of opened my eyes on what was wrong in education and how I could contribute to some sort of solution or or contribute to some sort of uh, policy that would help education in some form, whether it's the faculty, the administration, or the students, or even education as an institution. So I would say it was about a year before I decided to take my first education course did I decide to, um, to apply for a PhD. It might have been about a couple of years or one year or two right before that first class I took. Okay. So what I'm hearing is that, you know, you didn't just jump into a program. You did your homework. You explored, uh, you know, you, you said you mentioned you did some informational interviews, but you even took courses before actually fully committing to the program. 
Yeah, yeah. So I took actually a course, again, that focused on diversity and education. And then I remember taking a social linguistics course because I really enjoyed linguistics. And even though it wasn't centered on what my PhD was going to eventually be, I was able to count that, that credit to, to, as an elective for when I did my PhD. So it all really worked out. Yeah. And then I also took a, a gender and I think it was a gender, a women's studies course focusing on gender. Uh, so I took a, you know, it was always uh, fitting what my interests were as, as, uh, as an academic. Um, and it really then added to the lens that I would use eventually in my PhD program. And, and to kind of address your question, like how did, you know, how, how did I come to that uh, realization and what kind of advice would, would uh, I give someone? Um, so I always use analogy of a, a relationship when it comes to pursuing education, right? So when I speak with students or, or you know, people who are interested in pursuing an advanced degree, I always say an undergraduate degree is an equivalent of dating someone. You're kind of taking, you know, multiple subjects to kind of figure out what you want to study and major in eventually. And then eventually you decide on a particular major and you finish that. So you date and then eventually become ex exclusive with someone. So similarly exclusive to a specific subject. And then I say, if you want a master's, that's almost an equivalent of being engaged to someone because you're, uh, you know, it's most master's program are like two years and uh, you kind of center on a specific subject that you're really interested in, where you most likely will either continue the career path you're on or maybe pursue a more advanced role. So I say that's the engagement period. Mm -hmm. And for me, a PhD is an equivalent of a marriage, right? <laughs> where you know you wanna be with this person forever, so therefore you have to do your research. You have to make sure you wanna commit to that individual or that subject and know that you will be known for that specific discipline forever. Yeah. Um, not to say you can't <laughs> change careers, but that's the analogy that I like to use because when it comes to a higher, the higher degree you get, the more narrow the subject gets, right? Mm -hmm. So. Uh, undergrad is a little bit more uh, fluid, masters uh, more concrete, and then a PhD. You're 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 that expert on that specific subject, right? So I always use that analogy of relationships, engagement, and marriage when it comes to deciding on whether you want to pursue a, a higher degree or not. I'm all about a good analogy, and that was a great one, Mark. I'm like, oh, okay, that's good. I'm still in Thank engagement you. mode. <laughs> <laughs> So you took classes. So um, what were, when did you realize, like, you know, when did you start thinking about your career? Because, you know, you were in career services, but now you're making this shift, right? When, what kind, what were some of your career goals that you're like, all right, I'm working on this PhD. Now I need to start thinking about what this is going to mean for me. Because obviously you were going to transition from what you were currently doing into something that was more relevant to what it is that you were studying. Yeah, and that's a great question. Um, I would say my path is a combination of luck, opportunity, and um, my own personal investment, right? And I'm not saying 
everyone's experience is going to be the same because everyone's story is going to be different. And I think while I was pursuing my um, doctorate, um, I was a career advisor. And for me, I knew I just wanted to always make a difference in, in people's lives, whether that's through personal engagement or academic engagement. And I felt like by doing a PhD, that was one way to do, to do that, continue do, doing that. Mm. And um, I feel like the, the realization of eventually switching from a career services field to different was also, also a combo of, like I said, opportunity uh, and, and a little bit of luck because there were just um, opportunities on campus that allowed me then to shift over to what I call cultural affairs or diversity, inclusion, and, and equity. Um, and while I was doing my PhD and when I realized I really wanted to study you know, Asian American students and how uh, their college experiences shaped their, their, their success, um, I got an opportunity to interview for a director of a cultural center. And that then really affirmed that this is the type of work I wanted to do. Um, and the great thing about that is the role then allowed me to teach part-time. So it wasn't just a, a full-time administrative uh, role that I'd been doing for years, but now I was doing a variety of things as a director. I then suddenly started teaching you know, certain courses. So that is how I think the shift happened for me. Uh, okay. It was just an opportunity, maybe timing as well. And then just my own individual interests that kind of aligned with the research that I was doing. It sounds like you always following your interests. And like you said, mm-hmm. you know, the opportunities present themselves and you're like, okay, this is aligned with what I want to do. And you just explore that. I love that about you, Mark. You know, just like, this is like really owning that, right? Your truth. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. And I, and I think you have to um, definitely follow your interests, right? Mm-hmm. And also your values, because I think, in order to be content and happy with what you're doing professionally, it needs to be something that brings joy to you or brings joy to others because otherwise you're gonna be stuck, right? And and again, it goes back into the relationship analogy that, that I started out with is, if you know you're gonna study a subject you're not gonna be happy with in the end, you're not gonna be happy. So I think it's a matter of really exploring what your interests are, defining them and making sure that what you're doing professionally is something that matches your interests and values. Absolutely. No, that's really important. And, and there, a lot of times people experience, you know, these external pressures as well, that they are pressured into going into an area that maybe it's not an interest to them, but they feel like, well, this will open up more opportunities or, you know, it's career suicide if I focus on this. So you hear all this noise. Uh, but you yeah. really want to, you know, really focus on what it is that you want to do. Like you, you said the magic word that I love, like something that brings you joy. Yes, um, definitely. So you, everybody has different experiences while they're in their PhD program. So some people will, you know, either get a research assistantship or they work part-time and then they go PhD full-time. What's your story? How did you, ba- were, you know, were you working? Like what, what was your experience like? Yeah. Um, sometimes like I ask how I even did it because... <laughs> 
when I started my program, I went part-time as a student and worked full-time. Um, and I would only take one course. Um, and then little by little, in the timeline that I created, I started doubling up courses. So I took um, two courses. And I think there was one time where I did an independent study, which counted as a third um, course. And mind you, I was working full-time as a career advisor. And then there was one, one year where I also taught part-time at a, a community college and did theater. So, and I was taking a course or two. So I don't know how I did it because I was doing, you know, after, and mind you, courses, you know, grad courses tend to be evening. So after a nine to five job, I'm in class. And then when I'm not in class, I'm either reading, doing homework or reading a script for a play or, or a musical, and then also part-time teaching. So I don't know how I did it, but it's through time management and also maybe my age range back then allowed the energy to do it. But I think at any age, you could do it as long as you budget your time. So that's how I think I did it. I was able to uh, really manage my time. And mind you though, I, I didn't have, you know, a significant other, I didn't have children. So, uh, you know, I had a lot of, um, um, I didn't have other responsibilities in my personal life at that time. So, you know, everyone's path is different. So that's one thing I think if you do have, you know, family responsibilities or parental responsibilities, that's something that you have to really navigate and budget a little bit. Um, you know, I remember one of my classmates saying when she had to take her, her um, comps exams for her program, she cooked almost like a week's worth of, of meals for her family, froze them, you know, instructed her, her, her partner to say, this is how you heat up the food. It's in the freezer. You could feed yourself and the kids. And she then, uh, I think, rented a hotel for like a weekend or a week to do her comp exam. And I think that is yes. the type of uh, compromise and negotiation you're gonna need to do, not just with yourself, but with the others that you engage with or, or have some sort of responsibility with. So I think it's a matter of time management and clear communication, yeah. uh, because again, there are maybe people who rely on you in certain things and kind of having a compromise with them. But I think definitely the key thing is time management and really knowing when you function best. Because for me, I am a night owl. I wrote my papers, I wrote my exams, I wrote my dissertation in the late hours. Like I would take a nap after I got home, maybe from like six to eight, and then write from like eight till three or four in the morning. And that wow. was when my brain functioned most uh, and mind you, that was for the week from the weekends, um, and that's when my brain functioned most. And I knew what my my strengths were versus trying to write during the day, where I feel I was more distracted or had other things to do. So it's a matter of really knowing what works best for you. That's excellent advice, and thank you for sharing the even the the story of your colleague and you know having a family. You know that really makes a difference, and everyone is different. Everyone has a unique circumstance, but finding things that work for you, and you know even taking the nap and you know working at the later hours. So there's a lot of commitment and sacrifice. Um, you honestly made it look easy. <laughs> I'm like, how does he do it? <laughs> but I know that it's a, you know it's a, it's a lot of work and uh, you know, really knowing yourself. So 
how long did it take you to finish your program? Because I know a lot of times it takes people a very long time or they don't finish. What was your secret? Well, again, it's a mixture of, of timing. And I don't know if it was a secret, but I also had a deadline I had to meet from the college, right? Or from the university, because I think you had a 10 year limit to finish ah. your program. And I started, I took my first class in 2007 and I defended my dissertation in 2015. And then I walked uh, or graduated in 2016. So about nine years it took me. And mind you though, I did part-time. So most people who went to school full-time finished in like four to five years, depending on on their research and and other commitments. So mine was, I would say nine years. Okay, and so that's about the average. So if you're, you know, working and and going part-time. Yeah, that's a common timeline for folks who are um, working or are going part-time. You know, there are folks who go from master's to PhD and they finish that all like in six to seven years. But in reality, a lot of people who pursue a PhD know that it takes time because you got to take classes, you have exams, and then you do your research, and then you do writing. Uh, for me, I think my writing took about two years to finish. Uh, oh, for your dissertation? For my dissertation, from early writing, proposal defense, to write a research and writing, and then you know finishing the, the dissertation and then defending it. Wow, that's incredible. Well, that's amazing. And so what advice do you have for someone that is, you know, maybe in their career, they have a master's degree and they're like, I think a PhD might be right for me, but I don't know where to start or, you know, what should I do? So what advice do you have for someone thinking about a PhD program? Yeah, so I think if you know what discipline or or field you want to get into, then go ahead and look at, you know, universities, see what are offered in regards to what you're interested in. If you're if you're unsure, like the way I started, it's a matter of just doing, um, I would say informational interviews. I, you know, met with program directors of certain colleges, um, spoke with faculty. I even spoke with students yeah. um, to see what their experiences were. You know, like an example would be, you know, I, I looked into sociology. Well, unfortunately sociology courses were taught during uh, business hours, nine to five. So with me working, I realized I really couldn't pursue that. Uh, uh, English was somewhat similar as, as well. And then anthropology, uh, I felt was um, an area that didn't really grab, I, I didn't really gra- gravitate to. So I then I didn't even consider that. And then I realized education courses uh, were after 5 p.m. So that met my schedule. So. You know, in addition to uh, doing research, uh, doing interviews or informational interviews, finding out what is realistic for you in your time is going to be important as well. Um, And then, you know, I would say do it. If you are someone that wants to do a PhD or an advanced degree, do it. I think it wouldn't hurt your, your, your professional development or personal development or even the fact that one day you're contributing to some sort of your research will be contributing to something in in society. So it benefits other people as well. So I'm always an advocate for for folks who want to pursue uh, a higher degree. 
Wonderful. Well, you provided some great insight and great tips and strategies to consider. Uh, thank you for sharing your journey, your experience, and how you were successful in, you know, getting attaining your PhD and now uh, director uh, of the um, Asian American Resource Cultural Center. At Asian the American Resource, Resource Cultural, Cultural Center. Center. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So thank you again for sharing your uh, your story and your experience. And um, I'm sure that my listeners will really appreciate uh, hearing your story. And maybe you've inspired some people to take the next steps into pursuing a PhD. I hope so. And and you know I I, I nothing brings me joy than to see undergraduates that I've worked with either pursue a master's or even a PhD eventually. Uh, and, and, you know, I've, I've taught undergrads and master's level. And uh, it's interesting to see one student that I've had as an undergrad then become one of my master's students. It's, to me, it's just, it brings me joy. And I think that's what um, folks who want to pursue a PhD, you know, should really consider is, this, is this going to bring you joy? And is it going to lead to a career path that is going to uh, continue the joy that you're, 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 you're in or seeking. That is one of the most rewarding experience uh, in the work that we do. Um, thank you again, Mark. And, you know, you're can, welcome. Pe can people find you or where can people find you if they want to? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter. So it's Arc Mar Mark R. Martell. So M-A-R-K-R-M-A-R-T-E-L-L. Follow me there. Um, that's one way I can engage with folks. Uh, you know, I I like to have conversations about race, comics, uh, education, uh, gender, sexuality on there. It's a, it's a great way to get to know me and, and follow the work that I do. Uh, I do speaking engagements and also have done um, conventions, whether it's higher ed or comic cons <laughs> as well. Uh, and, and that's one way that you can continue to see what I'm up to. Fabulous. Well, as always, it's always great to chat with you, Mark, and thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me.